0: this weekend that I was coming here to preach. they, Everyone I talked to said, oh, you'll just love uh, University Presbyterian Church. You'll love Matt. So uh, glowing reports out there just to encourage you with that. And uh, in God's strange providence, you're going through the book of Philippians, right? And um, as I hopped on the airplane to fly here, I just pulled out one sermon, which just happened to be Philippians 4 11 through 13 I had no idea that you were in the book of Philippians and Pastor Matt sent back communication through some Ligonier people could I include verse 10 because that's because you stopped at verse 9 so um, how about that so this is a divine appointment and we, we believe in providence don't we uh, of course we do and so this is uh, the smile of providence Uh, it was meant to be. So, I want to invite you to take God's Word and turn with me to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, and I want to begin by reading verses 10 through 13, which will be our focus for this morning as we look together into God's Word. Beginning in Philippians 4 verse 10, and let me say I'm reading from the New American Standard. Uh, It's what Paul used, and so that's... uh, Good enough for Paul, good enough for me. Probably most, that was a joke, probably most of you uh, have the ESV and I think you'll find it uh, very easy to follow with me and I'll make reference to it as well. So this is God's inspired, inerrant, infallible, authoritative word. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me." As the Apostle Paul writes these words, he is not sitting in a palace, he's in a prison. The year is 61 A.D. and he is in Rome which is really the cesspool of iniquity. It is the nerve center of the Roman Empire, and every vice and every immorality is present here in Rome. And Paul finds himself imprisoned, as you well know. He is confined. He's under house arrest. He is chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and this will go on for two years, which is seemingly an eternity for an active, driven figure like the Apostle Paul. And as he finds himself here in confinement, imprisonment, he is awaiting trial before Caesar. As you know, he's been arrested in Jerusalem, He has appealed to Caesar, he's gone through a shipwreck en route to Rome, now he's here in Rome and he is waiting the outcome of his life. Whether Caesar will put him to death or whether Caesar will release him, the Apostle Paul at this point does not know. That is why he said earlier in chapter 1 verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He does not know if Caesar will give him the thumbs up or the thumbs down. And yet, as we read this book and as we read these verses, we do not see a man who is down and defeated. We don't read about a man who is discouraged or despairing. We instead read about a man who understands that he is here in the midst of this trial by the sovereign will and purpose of God. The Apostle Paul was a man who believed in what we would call today the doctrine of providence, and he does not see himself, in fact, as a prisoner of Rome, which outward human eyes looking at Paul where he is would say he is a prisoner of Rome and confined in chains. When Paul writes the book of Ephesians at the same time that he's writing Philippians, he refers to himself in chapter 4 verse 1 as the prisoner of the Lord. He understands that he is in chains by the sovereign will of God, and that God has a purpose for him during this imprisonment. And so, he is not gloomy, but he is mindful that there's a mission that there's a purpose, that there's a reason why he is here in this imprisonment and some of Paul's greatest ministry will take place while he is imprisoned. It will be while he is here that he will write his four prison epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And who is to say the global impact of those four New Testament epistles down through the centuries? And while he is chained to these Roman guards, he will be sharing the gospel, preaching the gospel to them. They're actually his prisoner. They can't get away. And he will be winning them to Christ one at a time as they rotate through. And they will then take the gospel back into Caesar's very household. These are the praetorian guard. These are the the elite soldiers who served around Caesar. They're they're like the Navy SEALs. They, They are the elite of the elite. And they will be, as new believers, taking the gospel back into the inner circle of Caesar, a place where Paul could have never gone himself, and the will of God is just being carried out through this time of severe trial and difficulty and adversity. It's like it's the best of times and the worst of times. For Paul, he sees the glass half full, not half empty. And this is the way you and I need to live our Christian lives as well. We believe in the doctrine of providence. We believe in the sovereign will of God. And we believe that there is no such thing as an accident. We believe there's no such thing as good luck or bad luck. We believe there's no such thing as as fate. In fact, those are all just pagan myths that come from an agnostic, atheistic world. We believe, as R.C. Sproul liked to put it, there are no maverick molecules in the universe. And so we need to understand that even when we find ourselves in what would be similar circumstances of the storms of life, trials, and difficulties, which we all find ourselves in, that we are there within the sovereign will of God and that God has a mission, God has a ministry, God has a purpose for us in the midst of these times. So as we read this about Paul, especially in verse 13, which we will eventually work our way to, we need to have this kind of a Christian faith, a living, dynamic faith in the Lord that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So, as we look at these verses, I have three main headings as we look at verses 10 through 13. And the first heading that I want to set before you, it's very simple, it's verse 10, it's Paul's rejoicing. Paul begins verse 10 by stating this fact that in his heart, there is an overflowing joy in the midst of this very difficult, circumstance. Notice how he begins, but I rejoiced in the Lord. If you've been here for these sermons that Pastor Matt has been bringing through the book of Philippians, you know what the central theme of Philippians is. It's so obvious a blind man could see it. It's it's an epistle about joy. Fourteen times in these four chapters, we find the word rejoice or joy. Rejoice is found nine times, joy found five times. It it is a book in which Paul expresses the reality of joy that he has in his Christian life. He, He is not controlled by his circumstances. He is controlled by the Lord himself. And we need to understand the difference between happiness and joy. Let's just talk about this for a moment. Happiness is dependent upon your happenings. Happiness is dependent upon your circumstances, and when your circumstances are good or up, you're happy, and when your circumstances are down, you have lost your happiness, and we as Christians live in a world with all kinds of circumstances around us And I'll tell you, when my favorite football team wins, I'm happy. And when they lose, happiness has evaporated. But happiness comes from the world, and happiness is very shallow. Happiness is very superficial. Happiness moves in, moves out with the changing of a red light or a green light as you drive traffic. Happiness comes from the world but joy is totally different. Joy is that inner quality of heart and soul that is dependent upon your relationship with Jesus Christ who lives inside of your heart if you are born again. And joy comes from knowing Christ. It comes from following Christ wherever He leads. Joy comes from serving Christ. Joy comes from being with other believers who know Christ, and you share Christ together. And Jesus never changes. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So there's no fluctuation with this source and supply of joy. Uh, joy is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5, 22. And joy comes from knowing the Word of God and embracing the truths of the Word of God. Jesus said in John 15 verse 11, these things I have spoken unto you, that my joy might be in you, and that your joy might be made full. Well, the Apostle Paul is talking about not happiness here, because his happenings Are pretty tough, he's talking about joy. The joy that you can have in the midst of the storms of life. The joy that does not depend upon your circumstances. The joy that is transcendent, that rises above the muck and the mire of what is going on in in this world. Listen, the world did not give us our joy and the world cannot take it away. Joy comes down from above. It comes from the throne of grace. All true joy is the gift of God that He gives to His beloved as they walk through this valley of, of tears. And notice the next word, but I rejoiced in the Lord. Please note, greatly. It's a Greek word that comes into the English word as mega. It speaks of the the scope and the size of this joy. I rejoice greatly. It's not just a little pinch of joy, not just a few drops of joy that are dropped down into our heart. It's a flood, a a tide of joy that comes flooding and filling our, our heart and soul. And it is all found exclusively in the Lord. It's a distinguishing mark of being a true believer in Jesus Christ. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have joy unspeakable that 1 Peter speaks of. He begins to explain later in verse 10, the rest of verse 10, the occasion for him expressing this joy. He says that now at last, Referring to the Philippians, you have revived your concern for me. Let me just give some background explanation, which you probably have already, no doubt have already uh, considered in your study through the book of Philippians. Paul had a very special relationship with the Philippians. In fact, I think the case can be argued. His favorite church was the church at Philippi, his very favorite church. They were his crown and joy. And when Paul left Philippi in Acts chapter 16 after planting that church, they were the church that financially supported Paul. They underwrote his ministry. When no other churches were supporting Paul, they were and they enabled Paul to be able to carry on his ministry and to give himself to preaching. In Corinth, he would be a tent maker and there were some exceptions to that, but by and large, it was the church in Philippi that was his sole support of financial help. But there came a time in the church of Philippi when they were just unable to continue to keep up this support. And so that's why he says here, Indeed, you were concerned, but you lacked the opportunity at the end of verse 10. And so they went through a season in which they could not financially support Paul, but then that changed again as well, and they were able to take up what we might call today a, a special offering or a, or a love gift, and they needed to send it to Paul from from Philippi to Rome. They're in Philippi. Paul is in Rome. is 800 miles, and so they needed someone to take the money. They gave it to Epaphroditus, and he made that long journey to to Rome and eventually found the house in which Paul was under arrest, and the reason they had to give Paul the money is Paul had to pay the bill, pay the rent for the house in which he is imprisoned, he had to pay for his own prison confinement. So the Philippians stepped in and even paid that and gave the money to Paul. So as Paul writes the book of Philippians in part It is in reality a thank you letter. Even men can write thank you notes. And the book of Philippians is Paul's expression of gratitude and thankfulness that you have stood with me through these tough times and you have revived your concern for me again. Now what I want you to see before we move on What strikes me as I look at verse 10 is that Paul rejoices in the Lord for what the Philippians have done. He doesn't rejoice in the Philippians. Paul has a higher theology than this. Paul rejoices in the Lord for what the Philippians have given to him, and Paul understands this that it was God who was at work in the heart of the Philippians to cause them to be so generous with their support. He, he will say in chapter 2 verse 13, for it is God who is at work within you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. And so, he understands that it was God who was enlarging their heart and making them to be more sacrificial as they send these resources to Paul And so, Paul understands this, that though the Philippians were the supplier of these gifts, they were only the secondary supplier. That God Himself is the ultimate provider, that God is the one who is meeting Paul's needs He's just using the Philippians, kind of like a middleman, to provide for his needs. So, Paul expresses to the Philippians, I rejoice in the Lord that He has used you to meet this need in my life. Now, I want you to think about how that works out in your life. Many of you are employed have a job, you receive a paycheck, it's handed to you by your employer. Your employer may even be an unbeliever. Nevertheless, whatever is put in your hand, it has ultimately come from the Lord whose name is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides. He is the one who is giving to you everything that you have, even your health. God may use a doctor or a nurse, but they're only a middleman. It it, it is God who has provided for you, and we need to learn to rejoice in the Lord for even common grace blessings that come into our lives we easily rejoice in the Lord for redeeming grace, but even financial support, Paul rejoices in the Lord. So, before I move on, I just want to encourage you and even challenge you to be like Paul, to be constantly and continually rejoicing in the Lord. It will be one of the most powerful testimonies that you will ever give to unbelievers or people who are around you, that you have a vibrant faith in the Lord and even when your circumstances are in a downturn, you are still singing His praises and you are rejoicing in the Lord. And do not be one who simply is riding the wave of, of, of happiness dependent upon your happenings. That's fine and good as far as it goes but it's here this morning and gone this afternoon. True joy is what marks a true Christian, a true believer in varying degrees at different times in our Christian walk, but nevertheless, there is always that flame of joy that is burning brightly inside of our heart. So that's Paul's Paul's rejoicing. It needs to be our rejoicing. Now, second, I want you to note Paul's learning. And this is really what enables him to rejoice that Paul has learned something. He's learned a secret. And it is this learning of this secret that enables Paul to rejoice even when he is in prison, in chains, and his life is brought. to a a standstill. So, let's look beginning in verse 11, verses 11 and 12, under Paul's learning. Not that I speak from want. What Paul is saying is, listen, the Lord has met all of my needs. If I don't have it, apparently I didn't need it because the Lord has met all of my needs. Not my greeds, my needs. Not that I speak from want. For I have learned to be content. Now, let's just stop right here. And even as I walk through this, I want you to know this is a challenge for me. I think it's a challenge for all of us to be content with where I am, with what I have, with who I'm with, to be content And Paul says, I have learned to be content. This is autobiographical. This is Paul's testimony. The fact that he says, I've learned to be content means, Paul didn't always know this. Paul had to mature in the Lord just like every one of us here today have to mature in the Lord. Paul had to grow into this. He he did not start out content. He had to learn to be content. And you learn to be content not when you have everything, when you have nothing, when life isn't working out the way that you had envisioned it to work out, to be content in the tough times. That's what Paul is saying. This is an an incredible testimony that he's giving to us. For I've learned to be content." Now, this word content, we need to talk about this word content. It literally means to be sufficient. In the margin of my translation, out in the margin, it even has that. It just says literally self-sufficient. And by that, Paul does not mean he is the source of his own supply. What he is saying is, I've learned that I have everything that I need when I have Jesus Christ. This word content was used in what we call extra biblical uh, uses of the word, meaning how it was used in classical Greek outside of the Bible. It was used of a country that had all of its natural resources within the boundaries of that nation such that nothing had to be imported from the outside, from another nation, into the country in order for the country to prosper and to do well. That within our own boundaries, we have everything that we need. That's what this word content means. And Paul is saying that wherever the Lord sends me, whatever is going on on the outside of my life, I don't have to have anything imported into my soul or into my life, because I have everything that I need in Jesus Christ. Now, we, we, we need to not only understand this, we need to believe this, and we need to live this. This comes back to the great doctrine of the sufficiency of Christ. It is the doctrine of the sufficiency of the Holy Spirit. It is the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture. That if I have Christ living inside of me by His Holy Spirit, and if His Word is richly dwelling within me, Colossians 3.16, I have everything. I have everything that I need. I don't have to have anything imported or brought in from the outside. There is a sufficiency within me to go through the most challenging and difficult experiences of life. He concludes verse 11 by just saying, in whatever circumstance I am, and that word, whatever covers the full gambit. For us, it would be whether a parent dies, a spouse leaves, the doctor gives a bad report, a job is removed. To go through those troubled waters, I'm not going to collapse. I have everything that I need. I am content with what the Lord has given me. I'm content and satisfied with what the Lord has put in my hand and what the Lord has put on the table and with what the Lord has put in my pocket. I'm content, and Paul said, I've had to learn this, and you learn this when things are taken away from you, and you're left with just the Lord. That is when you learn to be content with just the Lord, and to discover that He is everything that I need. He develops it further in verse 12, the next verse, and the emphasis again is upon learning and knowing, learning and knowing. Notice how verse 12 begins, I know. In fact, he says it twice in this verse, and he uses the word learn uh, once in this verse. And just a footnote here, let us be reminded that everything in the Christian life begins with the mind. The way sanctification works, the way Christian life works, it goes from the mind to the emotions or the affections, then to the will. It is the the mind is the entry point into true Christianity. Then the emotions follow, and then the will. You don't want to live your Christian life with your emotions in the driver's seat. You want it to be the mind, the truth of what you know that has been revealed in the written Word of God. So Paul says, I know how to get along with humble means, ESV has it, I know how to be brought low, and that's a good translation, I know how to, to get along when things are low financially, when things are low physically. And I know how to live in prosperity, the ESV has it, I I know how to abound. And so what Paul is saying is, listen, I, I I know how to rejoice in the Lord whether I'm on the mountaintop or whether I'm in the valley, whether I'm in times of prosperity or in times of poverty. I know he continues in any and every circumstance. That puts his arms around anything and everything that would come into my life. You you might say, well, Dr. Lawson, you, you don't know my circumstances. You don't know how bad it is for me. And no, I don't. I just know what the Bible says that in any and every circumstance, that covers the A to Z of whatever the circumstances are. Paul says, notice what he says. I have learned the secret. That there is a secret that is like a a key that unlocks a door that enables me to live my Christian life in a dynamic way. This word. Secret. In fact, learn the secret is one word in the original language and it was used in Hellenistic mystery religions that you, you had to be initiated into this mystery cult-like religion and, and when they let you in, they give you the secret handshake. They give you the, the, the secret password to, to, to get in and function within this secret cult. Paul borrows that word from the culture of the day and places it here to tell us that he has learned some insider information that the world certainly knows nothing of, and that even Paul, as he began his Christian life, had not yet come to learn. He had to learn it. He learned it in the school of hard knocks. He, he learned it in the fire of adversity. He, he learned it in the furnace of difficulty. He, he learned it when he's being stoned in Lystra. He, he, he learned it when he is being drugged through the streets of Philippi. He, he learned it when he's, when he's thrown into prison. He he learned it when he's shipwrecked in the Mediterranean Sea. He learned it when he's arrested and has to stand trial in Jerusalem. He's learned it along the way. And he wants the Philippians to know this. He wants you and me to know this, that this secret works. It says at the end of verse 12, at times of being filled... ESV has facing plenty, literally means when I'm well fed, when I've got resources in my pocket and food on the table, that's what that means, and going hungry for lack of food. Both of having abundance, and I love this word abundance, it's, it's a word that simply means having more than I need, exceeding the number. And then suffering need to come short of what I need, that this, this, this secret that Paul has learned in the Christian life is a, is a lesson that you and I need to learn of being content with where I am and what I have and what I do, and with whom I am. This is what the frustrated spouse needs to learn. This is what the frustrated worker at the office needs to learn. It's the secret of being content with where I am and what I am, regardless of the circumstances and the happenings that are transpiring and unfolding before me. So would you like to know what the secret is? Well, Paul tells us in verse 13, and this is my third and last heading, Paul's Empowering. Here is the secret that Paul learned on his missionary journeys and in his many imprisonments. It is a lesson that you and I must learn, and some here today have not yet learned it. Some here today have not walked with the Lord long enough to have learned it. Others have gone through have walked with the Lord for many years, but sad to say, you're just repeating the first grade again and again and again. And you've not yet learned this. When I was in college, I went away to college a long way from home. I was by myself on a campus of 30,000 students, I did not know one single person. And I had this verse, verse 13. Calligraphyed and it hung over my bed such that every day when I would come back into that dorm room, verse 13, I'm looking at it. I needed it then. I need it now. You need it now. I want to walk through it very slowly in the time that I have that remains. I, I, I want to carefully consider what's in verse 13, because this needs to be a life verse for you, that this needs to be a a signature text in your Christian life. This needs to be ever before you. Notice how he begins, I can do. He does not say, I I might do, I may do, I could do, I should do. It's not a word of possibility. No, he says, I I can do, and that is a word of ability. Paul is recognizing that God has enabled him to do something. I can do. You you need that vocabulary in your Christian faith. I can do, notice what he says, all things. Not some things, not many things, not most things. Look what it says. I can do all things. In fact, as Paul wrote this those two words, all things, in the order of the words in the sentence in the original language, the sentence begins, all things. It's what we call the emphatic position. You front load what is most important. It's like taking a yellow highlighter and highlighting those two words. Literally, out of the original language, this reads, all things I can do. Now, this needs some some qualifications. Paul is not saying that God will help me do all sinful things, neither is he saying God will help me disobey His Word, neither will this, does this mean God will help me do certain supernatural feats, jump across the Mediterranean Sea, swim across the Atlantic Ocean. That's not what Paul is driving at here. And to take the rest of the Bible and pour it into those two little words, all things, we know what these all things are. All things that glorify God. All things that please God. All things that obey God. All things that pursue the holiness of God, all things that carry out the will of God for my life. Even if God throws me into the deep end of the pool, I can do all things that God would require of me in this very difficult situation. I can do all things in witnessing to others, I can do all things to extend the kingdom of God, I can do all things to, to honor the Lord Jesus Christ." This is, this is quite a statement. And consider the context. Paul is in prison. If we were looking on at Paul with just human eyes and we hear Paul dictating this to his secretary. And hearing Paul say, I can do all things, we look at Paul, Paul, are you kidding me? Paul, look at your wrists, you're in chains, look at your ankles, you you are in chains, and you're telling me you can do all things? Paul, look at you, you are confined to the four walls of of this house, and you're telling me you can do all things? You're, You're the last person in Rome who can do all things. Here, Paul is saying, I can... I can go through this trial, I can persevere through this difficulty, I can be steadfast, I can be immovable, I can pass through this fiery ordeal triumphantly." That's what Paul is saying. Think about what this would mean, what this does mean for your Christian life. That whatever the will of God calls you to do, God will give you the grace to go through it. Sometimes we say something like, oh, I don't think I could ever do that. I want to tell you, if it's the will of God, you can. Not because of you, but because of who is living inside of you. Now, how does this work out? Note the next two words, through Him, the Him refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's mentioned in verse 7. And what you need to know, whenever Paul writes his epistles and he refers to the Lord, he's referring to the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see that at the end of this chapter, verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Uh, He began the book of Philippians by identifying Jesus in chapter 1, verse 2, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, when Paul mentions the Lord, he has his eye upon the one who suffered and bled and died for him who rose from the dead, who met him on the Damascus road and knocked him off his high horse, the risen victorious Christ. I can do all things through him. Please note, nothing else is added. It's through Christ and Christ alone. solos Christos, Christ alone. Not Christ and anything else. Not Christ and anyone else. Some of you are single here today and others may be divorced and you may say, I just don't think I can go on, go on by myself. I need someone in my life. Well, that may be God's will for your life. Genesis two eighteen. It's not good for the man to be alone. But I'll tell you this: if you have Christ, you have everything, and you can do all things through Him. Period. Paragraph. Anything else is just kind of a icing on the cake. Anything else added to Christ that would be, He would import. It's just to push you over over the hump, but if you have Christ, you have everything. And again, this speaks to, does it not, the sufficiency of Christ, the sufficiency of grace, the sufficiency of the Holy Spirit? Now, notice the last three words, who strengthens me. This is good news. This verb strengthens comes into the English word in noun form. It's a verb form here, but as dynamite. The dynamic power that only Christ can give that all strength is mediated into your life through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what can we say about this strength? As as I bring this message to conclusion, I just want to lay out some bullet points about this strength. This is the good part, that this is what should, as we leave here today in a little bit, This should be what sends you bounding out this door to go back into the world and to do whatever it is that God has called you to do. What can we say about this strength? Number one, it's necessary. You couldn't live your Christian life for one millisecond without this strength. You're not that good. John 15 verse 5, Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. For apart from me, you can do nothing, nothing, nothing of any eternal value, nothing of any spiritual impact, nothing of anything that glorifies God, nothing that fulfills the will of God for your life. You could not take one step forward in the will of God to serve the Lord without this strength. That's why when you get to heaven and there's a crown given to you, it'll be on your head for a millisecond and you're going to cast it back at his feet because everything that you did that glorifies the Savior had its origin in the Savior. This, this strength is necessary. Second, it's all-sufficient. I've, I've used this word, sufficient. I can't use it enough. It is greater than any challenge you will ever face. It is greater than any trial you will ever go through. It, it is greater than any difficulty that will be thrown against you. This this empowering grace of Christ in you far overshadows, far overshadows any difficulty that you'll ever face. 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9, Paul prayed, the Lord would take this thorn from his side, and this was the answer Paul got from the Lord. My grace is sufficient for you. I'm keeping the thorn in you because my strength, my power is perfected in weakness. God is saying, I need you weak so that you will know my strength. There's no one too weak for God to use, only people who are too strong in themselves. God only gives his strength to those who recognize their weakness. Third, it's internal, and by eternal, I want you to know that this strength is not just a superficial strength that lays on the outward facade of your life. It, it is a, a strength that works from the inside out. It, it, it is released in the innermost being of who you are. Ephesians 3 verse 16, Paul prayed that the Ephesians would be strengthened in power in the inner man, down deep in the depths of your soul, is where this strength is released. Fourth is comprehensive, which means mind, affections, and will. This strengthening by Christ, it strengthens your mind, it strengthens your emotions and your affections, and it strengthens your will. It it, it is an across-the-board empowering, such that as, as your mind is strengthened, you are able to remain strong in the faith and with your convictions remain firm. And emotionally, you're not going to have a meltdown because the grace of God will strengthen your affections and emotions, and it will strengthen your will to deepen your resolve to obey the Word of God. It's comprehensive. Fifth, it's timely. It's timely in that it is given to you as you need it. You need His power at certain times more than you need it at other times, and whatever it is you need at that moment, the Lord will give it to you. You may not think today in church on Sunday morning that you would be able to do something on Monday morning when you go to work, but I want to tell you when the time comes, He gives a greater grace, and He will give to you at exactly the right time exactly the strength that you need in that moment. And the last thing I would tell you is that it's mediated, meaning there are means of grace, uh, think of it as, as, as pipelines. that. Allow the grace, the empowering grace of God to come flowing and surging into your your soul and you've got to be hooked up to these means of grace. The, The primary means of grace is to be hooked up to and be under the preaching of the Word of God. And then there's a pipeline for you to be alone with God. With, the, with your Bible, your own Bible reading. And then there's corporate worship. And then there's fellowship with other believers. And, and then there is service for the Lord. And as you are connected to these means of grace, you are strengthened in your inner most being. That's why this morning is entirely necessary and the Lord in His goodness has ordained that we would gather today on the Lord's day to worship Him but also so that the means of grace will flow into our lives so that we will be empowered and enabled. To do whatever it is that is awaiting us as we go out there. So, verse 13 is an extraordinary treasure, treasure chest of truth, a vault of diamonds that I need, that you need. If you're breathing, this morning, you need this. So, let me ask you, in what way do you need this power of Christ to strengthen you? In what area of your life, in what difficulty do you find yourself How do you need to find new strength to persevere in the midst of your trial? How do you need to be like Paul and say, I have rejoiced, I have learned the secret to be content, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me? As you have given thought as I ask those questions, only you can answer where it needs to be. Realized in your life, but I'll tell you how. Ultimately, you need to look to the Lord. And it may be, it just may be, there needs to be less complaining and more looking to the Lord. Lean upon the Lord. Love the Lord. Live for the Lord. Learn from the Lord. And you will know the reality of this secret to be content in whatever circumstance you find yourself, whether a season of plenty or a season of poverty. You have everything in the Lord Jesus Christ. May we look to him for his strength. Let us pray. Father in heaven, you you have not left us as orphans alone to live our Christian life in our own strength. We praise You for this, that You've given to us even more than forgiveness of sin and righteousness of Christ. You have given us Your Son and Your Spirit to live inside of us, and we are never alone And we have the fullness of your resources constantly and continually available to us as we live the Christian life. And thank you that your grace is more than sufficient. Lord, seal this to our hearts. Who knows how we're going to need this this week? Who who knows... will be thrown at us this week. May these verses come back to our remembrance and may they be the support that we need. Father, thank you for this so great salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.